Yes, indeed, we are live. Let me tell you. <laughs> I'm going to just say just this. Barely. Well, the great opportunity is we get to be with my brother while he's ordering his food at a diner with his wife. <laughs> That's just freaking fantastic. <laughs> Thank you, Michigan, for all the great internet you've got down there. <laughs> That's right. I got better uh, internet in a second world country. This than I have is not <laughs> well, it just adds to the allure. I mean, you know, uh, well, <laughs> and speaking hope. of allure, how about the velour seats you're sitting on right now? <laughs> That's just Those great. aren't velour. <laughs> the great hoodoo. That's oh. awesome. Well, folks, uh, yep, a special edition Rebel's Edge from Sophia's Diner in Michigan City, Indiana. Yeah. Right next door to Michigan, of course, it's about two miles that way. But anyway, uh, thank you for joining us today. We will nonetheless, despite starting late, apologize for that. Uh, the internet was not cooperating. Um, but we are here, and we're going to kick it off with the one-minute macro. And one-minute macro, Pete, I think our buddy A.J. Monty really kicked things off nicely by... Uh, last night we did a webinar, a free webinar. You guys can get a copy of it if you go to Market Rebellion. Um, but on that webinar, AJ made a very bold prediction, Pete, after the markets were fluttering yet again. AJ made this bold prediction, and we'll come back after you get a chance to watch and listen. This two-day pattern is known as a bullish charami. That is bullish 80% of the time. I think we're still on track for the diamonds to to hit that upside target. Now I have a higher target at 332.43. Does that mean we're back in a bull market? No, not at all. In fact, I think this could very well be part of what I've talked about over and over and over again, is that the, the year-end rally or the Santa Claus rally, I know from experience the, the last five trading days of the year plus the first two trading days of the new year, which brings us out into uh, next, uh, the, the Tuesday after New Year's, this seven-day window, generally 75% of the time, that seven-day window results in a 1.4% rally in the S&P. Is that a guarantee? No, that's what's happened 75% of the time over the last 50 years. Are you hearing them, Garrett? <laughs> of course. <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. I was muting Pete during the, uh, so you wouldn't have to listen to his. This is just going swimmingly. This is just absolutely perfect. I don't know. We could, <laughs> I feel like, you know what? I was just last night. I'm sitting there watching old time television, John. I feel like we're watching it all over again, except we're a part of it. <laughs> That's the good news. Yeah. Uh, but. What I was going to say, Pete, was A.J. Monty sounded a lot like the Paul Rudd in Anchorman. Do you remember, Pete, in, there's a scene in Anchorman where he goes, 75% of the time, it works 100% of the time. <laughs> One of the great lines. That is a great line. That's fantastic. A.J. Monty was channeling that, folks, when he said, 75% of the time, we'll see a 1.5% rally. But... Uh, the important part was, folks, AJ was backing up. It wasn't just opinion. He was backing up yesterday why we would see likely a rally 
today. And he said, well, you know, we got this bullish Harami uh, and we've got this hinge that's happening, you know, with the CSI and blah, blah, blah. Um, I think uh, AJ has been brilliant this year, Pete. I wish my calls were as accurate as his. Um, you and I, of course, we follow unusual activity, but AJ is one of the best technicians out there. Um, and by all means, folks, go to Market Rebellion uh, and or follow us at Market Rebels uh, on Twitter, and you can get a copy of that. But he made that call yesterday before this huge rally uh, occurred. So pretty I interesting. Tell you, John, every time I've had a bullish Harami, I go to the doctor and make sure I'm okay afterwards. <laughs> Usually Pete has a bullish Harami yeah. when he's gone to one too many uh, all-you-can-eat. Yeah, that's a, that's a bullish something. <laughs> Speaking of bullish, how about... I swear uh, invent to you. Yep, inventory was being cleared out, and uh, boy, uh, they had a lot of positives to say. And believe it or not, folks, that's why the market's rallying, at least in a decent part, why people are getting a little more excited about maybe the consumer's not dead. You know, I'm kind of curious about this whole thing, John. I mean, this is a pretty phenomenal move from Nike off of these lows that it was sitting on, still down 30% year to date. So it's, you know, this isn't smooth sailing necessarily. And they've had three quarters in a row where their margins continue to get crushed. So uh, I know everybody's very bulled up on this one. We also have got a little bit more activity because of China and the reopening and everything else, but revenue was still down 3%. I know it was up 30% in the U.S. I just think people have to be very, very smart about what they're looking at right now from Nike. They got rid of a lot of inventory. Everybody's excited about that, but they did it at major discounts, which is why those margins look the way they do. So do we really know that Nike has turned the corner? I'm not so sure if we have or not. But um, I'm not necessarily ready to jump on it. And I'll say this. Take a look at a chart between Skechers and Nike, and you tell me which one you like better, because I can tell you those charts say a lot. Yep, indeed they do, Pete. And uh, we tested the 50-day moving average just yesterday, like Pete said. And today we jumped above the 200-day moving average. So, you know, you got to take a look at both those support and resistance levels to decide if you want to get in where do you set a foot uh in case it fails on this uh supposed breakout all right pete fedex this is one that you and i have disagreed on in the past because when this one gets way too cheap i'm a buyer you are almost never a buyer you're more of a buyer of ups why don't you tell us why well ups and fedex they're different companies of where they really focus. And because of that, I've just preferred UPS. That doesn't mean I don't dislike, uh, uh, th that I dislike FedEx. I just think that between the two, one has outperformed the other almost consistently on a regular basis, UPS. And so I've just continued to stick with that one. But that all being said, John, really nice move to the upside. They raised prices, they cut costs, they were able to do that, but they still had the declining in the volume. So the demand is still an issue, I think, going forward. And you just kind of wonder, okay, their express sales, which is a big deal, that was down six and a half percent, almost six and a half percent. So they are doing well. They're they're moving things around, but it's not a perfect scenario in my mind just yet for them. And I just wonder over the next couple quarters, are they going to be able to continue 
to do what they're doing with these cutting the costs and raising some of the prices. Uh, I don't know if the consumer is going to be able to handle that very well at all. Yeah, and my point here, Pete, would be that uh, they've had a decline in package volume, and we all understand why, you know, whether it's um, Amazon Prime deliveries with their own fleet of vehicles as well as planes or whatever. Uh, if you're seeing less packages go through, that is not the time you want to get on the bandwagon. Um, I was lucky enough to buy this one on a significant decline a couple months ago, Pete, but I'm already out of it. So if you're still in it, congratulations. Um, I would be taking profits for those reasons. All right, Pete, what about Tesla? Um, you know, is the turn coming? I mean, this one traded down to some critical new 52-week lows today. And U.S. EV electric vehicle uh, adoption is now down 30% versus last year, 2021. And that's with higher gasoline prices. So this is certainly not bullish for any EV maker, in particular Tesla, the biggest of all. Yeah, it, it, it's been, you know, but I think it really does wrap around everything about what's going on with Elon Musk as much as anything, John. I mean, we everybody's been following Musk. They've been watching him as he sold shares of Tesla. We all know why this whole Twitter thing. People are also getting a little bit frustrated. Is this guy putting his, can he possibly have the attention to be able to go with all the various companies that he's got? We all know that he's done a magnificent job previously, John, but I think that the, one of the problems is, this is a little bit different time right now. And 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 when we look at what's going on with Twitter and all of that and, and the newsiness of that, and then you've got Tesla. Well, Tesla's got to face their own issues because of what's going on in China. And now they're finally starting to reopen. So maybe we'll see that production start to peak up and get back up there again. But that's been a problem. I will say this. It's got a forward PE of 27 right now for Tesla, John. I am chomping at the bit to, to want to buy this thing at some point in time, but I'm still waiting because we've got to see a turn. I don't need to buy the bottom in this thing, but I'd like to see something change with the company itself. And then I think I'd be on board because I still view it as a technology, not an automaker. Everybody can be as critical with me as they want, but it's solar, it's batteries, it's charging stations, it's software, it's AI. That says to me, this is a technology stock far more than it is an auto stock. And because of that, I can be patient. I can wait. And if things gotten awfully cheap. Yep. Uh, I am right there with you, Pete. I am chomping at the bit to get back in. Um, I was a Tesla bull. Luckily, didn't ride it all the way back down here. Traded through 136 today. Um, bounces back to 139. You know, I, I think you'll see a lot of that. And end of the year tax loss selling. This is also driving it. It used to stop Pete three days before the end of the year. Why? Because we used to have, they called it T plus three. Now, if you uh, sell it right up until the final print on uh, the new year, um, you can take the tax loss. And virtually everybody who's been in this thing for a while has a loss. It's just a question of how big, unless they've been in since the very beginning, Pete. Right. So I think a lot of people will be uh, taking some tax loss selling this year. All right, let's do one more. Um, take a look at Caterpillar. New 52-week high. This thing has just been on fire. Um, uh, Peoria-based uh, company, just, you know, a monster 
right here in Illinois, Pete. Um, earnings increased about 8.5%, the estimates did, over the last 60 days. So everybody's saying, hey, the runway looks pretty good for Caterpillar, CAT. Yeah, the earnings growth, John, is just off the charts. You look year over year, the numbers almost are staggering. You wouldn't think it's Caterpillar. You'd think it was NVIDIA or something like that. I mean, it's unbelievable. The infrastructure bill, the Inflation Reduction Act, you combine those, you're talking about a $500 billion on one side, almost $400 billion on the other side. There's a lot of reasons why Caterpillar is sitting in a very, very great position right now. They're in the catbird seat, and because of that, that's why over the last look look at the last three years even John this stock's up like sixty percent I mean it's been on fire for a while now it's something that I think is and and yet by the way sorry uh, but the PE is still low we're talking about low teens for the PE so everything is being fed in by the government when you got the government giving you that kind of money you tend to do pretty well because the government is usually not the greatest at this whole thing, but it's good for Caterpillar, and it certainly shows right now as the stock just continues to go to new highs. Yep, that's Caterpillar, folks, C-A-T. Had a bunch of uh, unusual activity for the last several months, and that one has paid off bigly. Yep. All right, Pete, I'm finally <laughs> getting bigly. <laughs> now I'm finally getting to Boeing, another one that's paying off, because today somebody steps in and buys Friday expiring 195 calls. Uh, now, that stock uh, had been, you know, just taken apart over the past couple years. They had problems with the 737 MAX. They had problems even with the Dreamliner, their newest one. But then United, just a week ago, put in that order for 100 Dreamliners. So Boeing's on a roll here. People want to bet on the upside, so they were buying upside calls at the 195 strike. You like Boeing here, Pete? I do, John. I'll tell you what. It seems like almost every day it's one of the leaders from the Dow. When you're looking at the Dow, you're trying to find out right, who's who's really leading to the upside. Even on negative days, Boeing seems to be one of those that fights it pretty good, and they actually finish all right. They've been on a little bit of a roll. It's taken a little while, but they're doing pretty well. I got a good one for you, John. How about NVIDIA? Now, a couple of weeks ago, you and I, we were in Miami together, and we were talking about this specific one here on the Rebel's Edge. And we were talking about, hey, look, they bought 17,000 of Friday's expiring, the 165 calls. Well, those things did a, I think they were up sevenfold, John, on that buy. So they did pretty well on that trade. But the stock is pulled right back down once again. Here we are today, 11,000 of this Friday's expiring. So just a couple of days, the 165 calls again. It sure feels like the same trader. It sure feels a lot like the same trade. When they started buying, the stock was 161. They bought all the way up until the stock was about 165. They paid a buck 40 all the way up to about 275 for these options. You got to be a little bit patient. And I also think it's a great spreading opportunity for people who understand the options well. You're buying one, you're selling another that's a little bit higher up. You put on a spread. It fit almost perfectly. I'm in this trade. I'm hoping to get uh, get lucky again, John, because they, they they certainly are setting this up very, very similar to what we had seen just a couple weeks ago when we were in Miami for that conference. Yep, and that one, it went all the way through 176 on that piece. So those calls went $11 in the money. Um, let's, you know, cross our fingers and hope the lightning strikes again. All right, uh, what do you got as far as uh, sports beat to kick it off? On the well, sports? I... 
Yeah, I got a fun one for you, John. There's a kid from Army, Andre Carter II. Now, a lot of people probably don't know who he is, but he's projected to be a top 25 pick in the NFL draft this coming spring. Here's the one problem. He's in the Army. So the good news is a lot of folks have actually done the right thing, I think, and giving him an opportunity to have a waiver that will defer his service, which I think is just the greatest thing in the world that they allow this type of thing to happen once in a while, and they are going to be doing that again. John, he's six foot seven, 260-pound edge rusher. The guy is absolutely a freak, Joe. As a matter of fact, last year he had the same grade as Aiden Hutchinson, who, oh, by the way, has done pretty well in the NFL. He was one of the top five picks last year, went to the Detroit Lions, done a really, really great job there. And I love the fact that this kid's going to get that opportunity. He can come back. He can he can work off the Army. By the way, if he decided just to jump, he'd owe $400,000 back to the government. So it's a great opportunity for him on this waiver. And I was just taking one last look at a couple other things. I'll just run this one by you, John. So looking at a top five for the draft, this kid's not in it, but I got Bryce Young going from Bama, going to Houston. They need a quarterback. You got Jalen Carter, a D lineman out of Georgia. He'll go to Seattle, I think. Will Anderson, you and I would love playing with this guy. He's a linebacker who's an edge rusher who's unbelievable. I think he's going to your Chicago Bears, John. So there's your top three. And I'll tell you what, I think all of them will be a huge impact next year. Certainly those three, uh, and Pete, you're exactly right. This Carter is a freak show. He reminds me a lot of a 22-year-old uh, version of Aaron Judge, Pete, because mm -hmm. same sort of body and same sort of talent. I know Aaron Judge plays baseball, but that kid could have played any sport he wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> and same's probably true here of Mr. Carter. For sure. All right. I thought you'd like this one, Pete. I rarely give Pete any suggestions for sports, but I thought this one was worth a shot. Google's YouTube is basically negotiating Sunday ticket rights. Now, what does that mean? That means that Sunday games, if Google wins it, would not be on TV. They would be streamed on YouTube, um, much like when Amazon Prime delivers the games only to Prime subscribers so it's a money grab we both know that Pete but is this good for the NFL no <laughs> it's not and here's why it's good from a financial perspective right I mean they're getting ungodly money from these companies that want to do this Google Amazon whomever but how about if I throw this out at you John have you seen the, the what the ratings look like for these streamers they're absolutely pathetic and it's and it's I think it's a testament about a lot of different things, but one of them is access alone for a lot of people who don't maybe they're not prime, maybe they're not this, whatever. But you look at what's going on. Sunday night football's averaging somewhere close to almost 20 million viewers, John. Um, so far this year, I'm looking at prime, and these guys are about uh, well, they're they're quite a bit off of that. They're averaging about nine million viewers. So think about that. If they're getting $9 million on Thursdays for this Amazon, and by the way, big argument, and you and I have seen this before in the financial world, where Amazon says the numbers look like this, Nielsen says the numbers look like that. 
I always find that interesting because you and I are very familiar with somebody who doesn't like to look at the Nielsen numbers as well. And, and suddenly that's become a problem because by avoiding what those numbers really look like, the reality has set in that those numbers might be pretty accurate. So if they're accurate here and Amazon really is somewhere around eight or nine million viewers, John, that's not great for the NFL. And I think those are the kinds of decisions that are money grabs for the NFL. But is that smart? I don't think so. Yeah, I, I think you, uh, if you turn your back on your fans, Pete, uh, and just rely on the dollars, uh, first of all, that's not sustainable. Second of all, you got to win the fans back. What if some of those fans decide that, you know, I guess I don't miss it as much as I thought. That'll be a bad thing, ultimately, long-term for the NFL. I think this is a mistake. I don't think that, I think they have to be both on television. Over the top is fine as well, but you got to be on broadcast television for some of these games. I mean, even just being on ESPN on cable alone is pretty tough. Yeah. Uh, so I agree with you on that. That's just why I wanted to bring it up. All right. Well, uh, we're going to dive back into the diner here, I guess, Pete, because they won't just let me sit here unless I order something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I heard your wife ordering up an omelet or something like that. So you're making me hungry. I can tell you that much. <laughs> oh, yeah. She did order up an omelet. In fact, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Voila. Fish and chips. Voila. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys have a good one. Please join us tomorrow for the final Rebel's Edge before Christmas. We'll see you tomorrow, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Bang.